Midnight Gathering. Welcome back. How we doing tonight? Doing good? Doing good. All right. Well, hey, um, I don't know about you, but uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed this series, God Is. It is, uh, man, I, I, I think our whole team, as we've taught through this, we are growing in our faith and our knowledge of who God is, and we're going to continue this over the next two weeks before we take a break, like Oakley said. But uh, let me just give you a fair warning that we're not going to land the plane gently. All right, this week and next week, we're going to handle some, some serious theological heavyweight stuff, all right? And so make sure that uh, you take good notes tonight. Make sure you, you finish out strong next week, because I, I, my, our hope is, all right, we started off this whole series with a quote from a guy named A.W. Tozer, and he said, the most important thing about you is the first thing you think about when you think about God. And here's why that is true. Because what you think about God will determine everything that you do, who you are, what you don't do, what you, where you go in life. Everything hinges on what you think and believe about who God is. And that's why we've taken uh, a nice long time to walk through as many attributes of God as we can. So I want to start tonight just by maybe taking us back to when we were little kids. I remember when I was young, you'd go to bed, you'd say your goodnights, and then you'd lay there in the darkness. And I don't know about y'all, but I was a deep thinker when I was a kid. And I would start thinking about deep things. And some of these things were terrifying things. For instance, when I was a kid, I would lay in my bed and I would try to think about eternity. And I would think, hmm, what will that be like? What is forever and ever 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 going to be like? And as a seven-year-old, that is a terrifying thought. Heck, now it's a terrifying thought because I'm like, man, I get tired of things after just a few experiences. I get something for Christmas and you use it for a week or two. You're like, okay, that's great. What's next? Right, you go to something new, maybe you go to a new job, and within a month or two, you're like, okay, this is normal, what's next? And I remember as a kid thinking, I get bored within a couple minutes. What is eternity gonna be like? And it freaked me out. There was multiple times where I would run to my parents' room crying because my brain could not grasp eternity, and it still can't. Or maybe you're, it's, it's not your childhood, but maybe it's more recently as you scroll through social media and you see these videos that people put up called, How Big Is the Universe? And it starts with a little tiny star, and then it goes to Mercury, and then Earth, and then Saturn, and then the Sun, and then Alpha Centauri, and then, you know, like, and all of a sudden you realize, oh my Lord, this place is big. And you start realizing how small we actually are. I don't know about you, but that freaks me out. Those videos are like, oh man, this is so cool. And then you start thinking about how small we are compared to the size of the universe and it starts to freak you out. Freaks me out. To this day, I watch those videos and I'm like, man, that's really cool. And that's terrifying. Because that's all that we know about, let alone what we don't know about. I, I share those two things with you because I think when we start thinking about eternity, Maybe when we start thinking about the, the, the immensity, the, how massive our universe is, 
there's probably one or two reactions, right? I think the, the first one is we're, we, get, we get a little uncomfortable and scared. Maybe terrified is the right word. As when I was seven, thinking about eternity, I was terrified. I did not like thinking that. I didn't like thinking about eternity. Because I just thought, well, it's a, it's a church service forever? What? AKA, or just, it's not. It's not that. We'll have another series on that. Maybe we should do a series on heaven. What do y'all think? We should we do that? Um, but here's the deal. I think what ends up happening is we, we try to move on from those moments of terror quickly because we don't like to sit, we don't like to sit in those moments. We don't like to think about how big the universe is or how forever eternity is. And what we do is we start to try and shrink our world into what we can see and touch and feel and experience. And like, that's all there is. And then our whole life becomes around just what's right there. And in doing so, we drift into this idea that God is actually pretty small and he's actually worse than he actually is. And so then it becomes easier and easier to ignore him and not think about him. Because if we're gonna think about the immensity of the universe, if we're gonna think how long eternity is, at least for those who are interested in spiritual things, for those of us who are Christians, our mind immediately goes to, but God created all that. How big is God? And then we start backing up like, wow, that's a little scary too. And so tonight, what I wanna talk about is the fact that God is bigger and better than you think. That God is actually bigger than you think. He is not small. And he is better than you think, even in your wildest imagination. Like we've talked through a lot of things over the last several weeks about the character of who God is because we need to know who he is. If we don't have a good grasp on who God is, what we will do is we will run and rebel when we have an incomplete or false view of God. But when we have an accurate and a biblical view of who God is, instead of running and rebelling, we draw near and we obey. Because we know that he is good. Because we know that he is love. Because we know that he is trustworthy. And we know that he is personal. And we know that he is holy. And we know that he is just and merciful. And we know that he has a heart of redemption. When we know who God, the God of the Bible truly is, we draw near, we don't run. It's when we don't understand who God is that we run and we rebel. So we're gonna throw out three words tonight that we're gonna dive into and we're gonna look at the, how God is bigger and better than we think. Because he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, and he is present everywhere. The churchy words are he's omnipotent, he is omniscient, and he is present everywhere always. He's omnipresent. So here's the definitions. If you have never heard those words, here we go. Omnipotent means God has all power over all things at all times in all ways. God is bigger and better than we think. He has all power over all things, at all times, and in all ways. If you're just joining us maybe for the first time, the challenge that we have, right, when we talk about who God is, is over-personifying God. Is that we look at our power and it's limited. Very, very, very limited. That's not who God is. God is omnipotent. The next word is omniscience. And this means God has total or all knowledge, the quality of knowing everything. 
There is nothing in this world that he says, I don't know. Did you ever think about this? God cannot be informed on anything. There is no, no aha moment for God. He already knows because he is omniscient. And then he's omnipresent. It says God's power and knowledge extend to all parts of his creation. He himself is present everywhere. And so these are our, the, what we're gonna talk about tonight, that he is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipresent. He's everywhere always. Now, a natural tendency is to think, well, that means God can do anything. He cannot do everything. You know what God can't do? God cannot do anything that is against his nature. So God cannot do evil because he is by nature good. He cannot tell a lie because he is by nature trustworthy. And he cannot withdraw because he is everywhere always. He cannot be surprised because he knows all things. And he cannot be defeated because he has all the power. There is no, there is no power struggle between God and Satan. Let's, let's not get that twisted, okay? There is no power struggle. When you read through the Gospels and every time Jesus interacts with a demon, the demon's always asking for permission. They're terrified of Jesus. They know who he is. There is no power struggle. So let's get into it. My first point tonight is that God is bigger and better than we think. Number one, God is all powerful. He is omnipotent. God does whatever he is pleased to do. God does whatever he's pleased to do. Look at, look at the creation account in Genesis chapter one, verse three, six, and nine. Three little words tell us that he's omnipotent. God says, let it be, and then creation happens. Let there be light. Let there be plants and trees. Let there be birds. Let there be people. Can you imagine that power that you speak and it happens? It just, out of nowhere. You see, everything that has been made is not original, right? We, we like to throw around some words like, hey, you know, I'm a maker, I'm a creator. No, 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 no. We are assemblers of what God has already created. We rework it, we make, we're creative with it, we're creative, but God is the one that spoke and it was created. There's no man, no woman, no person on earth that has ever spoken and something was created that was previously did not exist. God does whatever he pleases. In Psalm 15, or 115.3, the psalmist writes, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He does all that he pleases. And it pleased him to create. And it pleased him to create you. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but God does what he pleases. And God created you because he is pleased with you. We're gonna get more into this in a minute, but I think some of us in this room need to hear that God made you because he is pleased in making you. Just like he, he created the earth and said, it is good. He created you and said, it is good. She is good. He is good. In Job 38, we see a conversation between God and Job. Job's had a pretty rough time and he's 
wanting a moment with the Lord in Job 13. He's like, I have, I have built my case. And in Job 38, God says, all right, it's time for you and I to talk. And if you ever want um, a fascinating, maybe tonight when you go home, read Job 38 through 41. You wanna know who God is? He tells Job who he is. And in Job 38, four, God says this to Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Whoa. God does what he pleases because he is omnipotent. He has all power at all times over all things. And God has complete and total control over everything. Like we're so limited. Like, we, like if you think about our lives, what we do is we try, we, our, our lives are built around wanting control. We try to manipulate situations so that we can control, that we can have some sense of power and control over our lives. But God is omnipotent, which means he has control over everything. I can't even control a traffic light. Yet he speaks and things are created. From the smallest details of creation to the immense complexities of creation. In Matthew chapter 10, it says, Jesus said that he knows every hair on your head. He knows the little things. God feeds the birds in Matthew 6. Jesus says, how much more does he take care of you? You see, God has the power to take, the, take care of the birds, and he has the power to take care of you. In Exodus 14, it says he has power over nature when he split the Red Sea, and the, and the Red Sea stood up like walls. He stopped the flow of the Red Sea. In Mark 14, you see him calm a storm. In Mark 4, you see him walk on water. He has power over sickness over and over and over in the Gospels. He has power over death. You see in John 11 where he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And then in Mark 16, we celebrated this past weekend at Easter that God rose Jesus from the dead. He defeated death. He has power over death. He has power over sickness. He has power over nature. He has power over your situations too. Proverbs 16, 33 says, there is no coincidence. God's always involved. Romans 8, 28 says, hey, I can do all things. I can work out all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. In Job 42, Job says, the, the plans of the Lord cannot be thwarted. He has power over demons, like I said before. Every time you see Jesus interact with a demon, they're terrified and they ask for permission. And they do what he says. And then in Revelation verse chapter 20, we see in the end of the day, when judge Jesus comes, he will throw Satan and his demons into the lake of fire. He has power over Satan and his demons. And then in Colossians 1, we see this amazing poem about how God has the power to create from nothing and then hold all of those things together. I don't know about you, but I have never made the sun rise. I have never fed birds just by making grass and flowers grow. You see, God's power is over all things at all times in every situation. God is omnipotent. And now let's go back to those situations because he is also powerful enough to use our situations and even use sinful actions for his purposes. Think about the power in that. That God doesn't just say, well, I'm, I can only do what I want to do if everything goes according to plan. That's how we think. We can't over-personify who God is. 
You see, God takes even the worst things, the most unfortunate things that happen in our life, and he's like, I can use it. I'll turn it for my purposes. In Genesis chapter 50, the, the, the famous story about Joseph, at the very end, right, Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. Joseph goes to prison for years as an innocent man. He is forgotten, and then he is raised up in Egypt to become number two in charge in a foreign country. And his brothers and family are starving in Israel. And they come to Egypt to be saved. And this is what Joseph says. In Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, you, my brothers, intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, even the evil behavior, the wickedness of his brothers, God used to save an entire nation of people. Romans eight twenty eight, which I read earlier, and we know that in all things, not some things, all things God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. God has power over all things. You see, what we get caught up in is in just a moment. We get caught up in the moments that are uncomfortable and there are situations that we don't want or that's not the way we would have written it and we start to believe that God is smaller than he is and worse than he is because our situation is worse than it is, right? We start to believe these things. That's why it's important to come back to God's word constantly and be reminded of who God is. I give you numerous examples in my life of how life has not gone according to plan. Things have happened to me that I shook my fist at God and said, how could you? How dare you? Why would you let this happen? But in every single situation, not in the moment, but afterwards looking back, that's the, one of the blessings of getting older, okay? I look forward to this you can look back and see God's faithfulness. When you're young, there's not much to look back on. And so we doubt his faithfulness, but we can look back and see his faithfulness. And maybe, not maybe, the most evil act in human history we celebrated this past Sunday. And on Good Friday, we sat with the fact that an innocent man, the son of God himself, was murdered on a cross in front of everyone to see because there was a hidden trial and they made up lies and they didn't like that Jesus was taking their power. And so they killed him. The apostle Peter in Acts chapter two says this. He's speaking to the Jewish folks in town. He says this, this man, Jesus, was, catch this, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. Did you see this? It was God's plan. And he used wicked people to bring it about. And it was God who raised him from the dead. I love this because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You see, God is powerful. He is omnipotent. And he will use the good, the bad, and the ugly to do what he pleases. 
and it was his pleasure. It was pleased him to save and redeem you. Just like Oakley talked about last week, he does what he pleases. And it pleased him to redeem you. So God's power is bigger and better than we think because his omnipotence is who he is because he is holy and good and just, right? His, his power is holy. It's a different kind of power. The power we use in this world is only to, to uh, control, to manipulate, take advantage of. God's power is other power, is holy. And his power is good. And it is for your good. And God's power is justice. That one day, he will bring justice and he has the ability to do so. In fact, Proverbs 29, two says this, when, a, when the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. So let's rejoice that a good God who is omnipotent and powerful is in charge. That he is good and he is loving and he is kind and he is gentle. That's who he is and he is in charge. So we can rejoice. Some of y'all have a boss that you're like, they are not kind. And you don't rejoice, you groan. But then a new boss comes in, you're like, oh my goodness, thank you. Oh, whoo. The God of the universe is good and kind and gentle and merciful, and he's in charge. It's a good power, but not a blind power. Everything God does has an intelligent purpose and goal. And this brings me to my second point, that God is all-knowing, he is omniscient. God is all-knowing, he knows everything. He is omniscient. The prophet Isaiah says it this way in chapter 40, verse 13. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him right the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Don't you love a good rhetorical question? Isaiah knows nobody. Nobody counsels God. No one enlightens him. No one updates him on the latest news. He knows it all. He knows it all. He knows everything, and too often we settle for Google instead of going to God, who actually knows what we want and what we need. He knows you. He knows you intimately. He knows every tear that you cry, Every time you worry, he knows every fear that you have. He knows it fully. In Matthew 6, 8, Jesus himself says, do not be like them, the Pharisees that pray just to be seen, for your father knows what you need before you ask. He knows what you need. Like, we're not, like when I was a kid, like, I might, like my kids do this now, but when I was a kid, like I would update God, like, okay, God, here's what happened today as if he didn't know, as if he was unaware, as if he was busy or taking a nap. No, I know he knows. He knows it all. He's omniscient. And he knows us. And he still invites us in to bring our prayers before him because he cares for us. It's a relationship thing. It, means don't, it doesn't mean don't pray. It means he already knows, so we can bring it all. He already knows. We don't have to do the fancy words or say it right. He already knows. 
And so he can come to him with confidence because he cares for you. God's knowledge is a precious gift to God's people. In Psalm 139, there's an entire psalm that talks about the omniscience of God and how deeply God knows us wherever we are. And I'll be honest, to the evil and the wicked of this world, Psalm 139 should terrify them. For those who are apart from Christ, those who are, are not followers of Jesus, who are gonna come before the Lord all by themselves one day without Jesus, Psalm 139 should strike fear into the heart of every person. But for the psalmist and for those who are submitted to God and following him, the knowledge of God is a wonderful and good and comfort to our souls. Let's read Psalm 139, verse one. You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive all my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem, it means you sew me in behind and before me. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. God's knowledge is, yes, it is universal. He knows all things, but God's knowledge is also very personal. That's what Oakley talked about several weeks ago, that God is a personal God, and Psalm 139 shows us just that. God's knowledge is unfathomable to us, but it is a wonderful thing. Can I be honest with you? Like When I think about this idea of God knowing me so personally, and as the, as the psalmist says in verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, is too lofty for me to attain. I, I can't fathom your knowledge, God. That brings me a lot of comfort. And here's why. I do not want a God that I can understand fully. I don't. Because a God that I can understand completely is not a God worthy of worship. And so the mysteries around God actually bring me great comfort that he is bigger and better than I think. But we want him to explain himself to us. We want him to tell us, why did you do these things? Read Job 38 through 41. Let's continue, verse seven. The psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You see, God's knowledge of us pursues us wherever we go. We cannot run to where he does not know where we are. We cannot hide where he does not see. Right? Even if we don't want to be known by him, we are known by him. And again, this is where I take a lot of, that can be a scary thought, right? that someone fully knows you, every thought, every intention, every action, 
but God is good and he is love and he is just and merciful. And so we can have comfort in knowing that God is not like Zeus who would just strike down the enemies with a bolt of lightning, right? Verse 13, he gets even more intimate with God's knowledge. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. You see, God knew us and he knew you before you were born, while you were being formed, and he knows every day after. There is not one part of you that he does not know. Like here's a, here's a wonderful thing that we need to understand. God knows you better than you know you. He does. He's the one that knit you. To, he put your fingernails on you. He knows everything about you. He was there for nine months putting you together. I don't know if you guys have ever done anything for nine months, but if you do something for nine months, you care deeply about that thing. And God took nine months to form every single one of you. And he knows you. And he wants a relationship with you. He says, come follow me. And then he finishes verse 23. The psalmist says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting you see, he finishes this, I, like he's, he's talking about the omniscience of God, that he knows, God, you know everything about me. And what does that do? It, it turns him to repentance. He says, God, search me and know me. Show me if there's anything in me and then lead me in, in the way. What a wonderful and scary prayer, right? But here's the comfort and hope that we have. Although God fully knows you, he completely and truly loves you. You need to rest with that one for a minute. He fully knows you and he completely and truly loves you. You see, you can't have one without the other. If you are not fully known, you cannot be truly loved. And you cannot truly love unless you fully know. And God says, I see you, I know you, I put you together. I see when you get up and when you come home. I see when you go out and when you come back. I see when you stand up and when you, like he knows it all. He fully knows you and he completely and truly loves you. God is bigger and better than we think because he is not only all powerful and good, all knowing, also just and merciful. And on top of that, because he doesn't leave us alone, he is with us. My last point is that God is present everywhere. He's omnipresent. God is present everywhere because God is all powerful and he's all knowing the logical conclusion that he is everywhere. If he knows everything, he must be everywhere. Job 38, again, verse four, God says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? He says, I was there. 
I will be there, and I'm still there. He's holding it all together. He is everywhere, always. Not only is he present everywhere, his entire plan was for us to be with him always. And this isn't just a theoretical or philosophical idea that God is everywhere. In fact, his whole plan was for us to be with him. Right From the beginning to the end of the Bible, the plan is that we would be with him. And we see this in Genesis 26. He says to Isaac, God said, I will be with you and I will bless you. And then in Matthew chapter one, verse 23, it says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And as Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, I'm gonna leave with you a helper, the Holy Spirit, that he would be with you. And so whether it's a theoretical, like God is everywhere all the time, or just understanding practically he is with you. As a believer, he is with you. And as much as we try and wrap our minds around who God is, he is actually indescribable. He's actually unfathomable. He has revealed himself to us, thank goodness. But there is much that we cannot comprehend. If you take a child and open up the trunk or the the hood of a car, and you try and explain to that child how a V8 engine works, that child's gonna be lost. Like it's, it's, it's a futile effort, right? There's no way you can explain to, let's be honest, there's some of you in this room that if we took you outside right now and opened, popped the hood and said, all right, let's explain some things, you'd be like, I have no idea what's happening right now. <laughs> but here's what you do know. You know the car goes. You know it works. You know how to work the car. You feel the, the wind in your hair and you know, hey, this works. And that's the way it is with God. We don't need to understand every inch and and minute detail of how he works, but we can live underneath his grace and mercy and say, it is good. And so that's why I can sit here tonight and tell you, I I am glad that I cannot understand God. It brings great comfort to know how big and mighty he is. One of my favorite snippets of a, pa- of, of a sermon I heard a long time ago is from a pastor. Um, his name is S.M. Lockridge. Back in the day, you just go by your initials, I guess. Like a, makes you sound better, I guess. I don't know, but I, I love this guy. And there's one particular sermon that there's a snippet of that I've heard over the years, and it is so good. And he, he explains, he said, this is who my king is. This is who God is. He pastored the Calvary Baptist Church in the mid-1900s and passed away in the year 2000. This is how he described it. Watch the screens. The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Do you know him? No means of measure can define his limitless love. Well, well, he's in turnless form. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. 
He's unprecedented. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's a fundamental doctrine of true theology. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feet. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is a king of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. You can't even beat him, and he's not going to resign. That's my king. That's my king. God is bigger and better than we think. That's our king. That is the God that we sing to and we worship. That is the God we surrender to. He is indescribable. I love that. He's like, I wish I could describe him to you, but I can't. God is bigger and better than we think because he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful, yet he is good and trustworthy. He is gracious and merciful with his power. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He you are fully known by him. And you are truly and completely loved by him. And God is omnipresent. He is present everywhere. He is with. He sees it all. You cannot surprise God. And so I wonder, do you know him? Do you know him? If you've grown up in church like me, you knew a lot about him. But do you know him? Do you know his goodness? Do you know his mercy? Do you know his justice? 
Do you know his invitation? It says, come and follow me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you find me, you will find rest for your souls. Do you know him? Because when you know him, you find rest. We often drift into thinking God is smaller and worse than he is. But, but, but the Bible shows us over and over that God is bigger and he is better than we could possibly fathom. And he desires a relationship with you. He knows your name and he has come to redeem you, to take you back to himself. And so I typically do a so what, but here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do. We're not gonna do a so what. But as you lay in your bed tonight, I want you to think about eternity. I want you to think about the immensity of God and that he made it all. And he knows you personally. Instead of being terrified, thank him. Send a prayer of gratitude saying, God, thank you for being bigger and better than I could possibly fathom. And thank you that you have made a way that God, you have used your power and you have used your omniscience and you have used your omnipresence not to shame and not to punish, but to set us free. You see, our world uses power to hurt people and to control people. God uses his power and his knowledge to free you from the sin that has caught you. And he says, come, I'll make a way. I will give my son Jesus for you to forgive you and to cover your sin so that that one day when you do stand before him, you will not be standing alone. You'll be standing with Jesus. And Jesus will say, I've got this one. I've got this one. God uses his power to redeem. And so I just wanna finish, and we're gonna leave this on the screens as we go into our 120 seconds, as we just sit and maybe pray and think about what we've talked about tonight. Just wanna finish with this. Do you know him? Do you know him? Ask him. Plead with him, God, help me to know you. Show yourself to me, reveal yourself to me. We'll leave these up for about two minutes, 120 seconds, and then we'll finish up the evening with one more song. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you that you are bigger than we think. Thank you that you are better than we can possibly fathom. That your goodness and your grace go before you. And God, thank you that you know us. You know everything about us. Therefore, you pro you've proven your love for us. When we were yet sinners, you sent your son to die for us. That you've made a way, that you've used your power for our benefit. God, thank you for being massively indescribable. Thank you for being terrifyingly and comforting immensity. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move tonight, that we would not leave the same as we came, and that tonight as we lay in our beds and we think about
how big you are. God, that you would grow in us a gratitude for your power and for your knowledge and for your presence. In your son's name, amen.